Well, today I have a very special guest, Robin McMahon, who is a parenting coach and author of the book, The Yelling Cure, a podcast host, and especially an advocate for peaceful parenting. Hi, this is Dr. Friedman, and you're watching Empowerment Solutions. Hi, Robin. I'm so excited that you are today on Empowerment Solutions, because there are a lot of solutions that you certainly have for <laughs> the thousands of parents that are struggling with their kids. And as I said in the intro, all the things that you are writing about in your book are just exactly those sore spots that so many are struggling with. But what I was curious about to start with, you called yourself an angry parent. What did yeah. you mean with that? <laughs> I found myself so frustrated and angry when my kids didn't listen to me. You know, I have one who is a little extra, one who has some um, uh, extra defiance, has big emotions, has explosive reactions and responses. And I didn't understand that. I didn't know why he was like that. I thought I either created it in him or that he just wouldn't listen. And so I doubled down on yelling. I doubled down on punishments and being angry and, you know, even thought maybe if I scare him enough, he'll listen. And I just got more and more angry. And through the work that I do now, I really needed help. And I learned what was really going on. And I, you know, I, I understand it now and I'm not as angry. So I can get into all of that if you want, but um, I really was an angry mom for sure. And I hid it from so many people. But a lot of parents are angry. I think this is a phenomenon that uh, you probably see with a lot of your clients. So do you find over the years that parents get more angry with their children? And why is that? I don't think that they necessarily get more angry. I think that it just really depends. The way I look at parenting is you've got the child and what's going on with your child, and then you've got you and what's going on with you. And so some of us may, from the parent side of things, may be more triggered from behavior that is from your teenager. So maybe you do get more angry. It, it's interesting because uh, my husband and I, as we've been parenting for 17 years together, you know, I can see that I was more triggered when my kids were younger. I expected more obedience. I expected better listening. And now I'm not, I, now I, I get them better. I understand their behavior. I understand my own triggers, my own issues. And it's my husband that actually gets more triggered because when I look at him, I've known him since we were both teenagers. And so I can see how it's his anxiety that is fueling his frustration more in the teen years because that's kind of when he went sideways, right? So I can see him being worried about his own past coming to happen to our kids now right if that makes any sense totally <laughs> so it's like a protective behavior in some ways don't do like i did but i yeah. do think what you said about anxiety is a factor that a lot of parents are i believe deal more with now than maybe 20 years ago because life is more stressful we feel more mm -hmm. overwhelmed easily and there is certainly also a 
a sense of powerlessness or being out of control that, of course, the kids are beautifully mirroring back when they are not mm -hmm. listening. And so for many parents, yelling seems to be the first go-to method because that's how they grew up. That's what their parents did. Now, you said your son had this you know issue and you kind of understand him better but i'm sure he's not that special that no one else in the world has his challenge so what would you say is going on with him that can also help other parents to understand their more defined or challenging children better oh it's such a good question and i would say he's pretty unique so what we know now that i didn't know back then was that my, my son does have ADHD. He has learning disabilities, but he also has an anxiety disorder. Uh, and I will say too, that uh, with ADHD, ADHD usually comes with a friend. And so the friend that it's come with is oppositional defiance disorder. And he also has obsessive compulsive disorder. And we didn't know that we started to see that around the age of six. And for him, OCD has really been debilitating for him. Uh, there have been times where we've counted over a hundred different things that he needs to have his rituals for. And, you know, it's really tough. And what comes with OCD that we didn't find out for many, many years is OCD rage. And so when he doesn't get the payoff, if you will, if the thing that he is really wanting that he is obsessed about and can't do the compulsion, he is enraged. And we have had many, many major meltdowns with him, mm -hmm. tantrums with me not understanding, you know, things have been really, really difficult over the years. We even took him to the emergency one time because he was so so beside himself, so dysregulated. And the problem is, is that he's this charming, beautiful boy. So people didn't necessarily believe us. There were two sides to him. And that made me even more frustrated, more confused, and really sent me down this spiral of shame and confusion and depression because I didn't get the help that I need needed. I didn't get the validation that I needed either, that this kid is really tough, but he shows up as this beautiful redheaded boy who we just love, you know, so much. And we do love him so much. And now understanding him really helps me to be able to more peacefully parent him. But I also had some work to do on my end because he didn't listen and didn't want to go with the flow. Like I've always said that the word okay is not in his vocabulary. Like he's never like, okay, mom, you know, he's always like, no, I'm not going to do what you say. And I had to heal my own self because in my own childhood, I wasn't heard. I wasn't listened to. And that was why that was such a huge trigger for me. Hmm. Right? So he's definitely a great teacher for the whole family. Yes. He's my greatest teacher, my greatest <laughs> gift. And he's sometimes a gift that won't quit giving. <laughs> he's the gift that keeps on giving is what I want to say. Yeah, he, you know, he's still a challenge, but of course he is the light of my life. Like I, I just, I couldn't love, I couldn't love anyone more than I love him. Mm. And he definitely teaches me a lot. <laughs> well, and that is, you know, a great example of really going not into the behavioral 
as mm -hmm. this is what the child is about, but really understanding more what's underneath. So listening, like you said, exactly. looking for help, trying to understand also what's really in his brain and his mind going on. It's these are very important things that you certainly also help parents to to consider. But in general, when you're seeing, you know, parents with children struggling that may not have OCD or anxiety, but they still are defined. They still say not yeah. okay. They still don't want to cooperate. You say in your book that punishment and reward, the old system doesn't really work. It creates mm -hmm. actually problems. So why does it not work and what problems does it create? Well, you have to understand at, you know, at, to begin with is that all behavior is communication. And so when our child might be saying, you know, get lost mom, or I don't want to talk to you. Yes, that is disrespectful. We'll label it as disrespect. We'll say, well, you don't get to do that to me, you know, and then we want to have a punishment. But if we were to say, okay, hold on a second, I'm going to put myself aside. I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to put my emotions aside for a second and just be there for my child and just show up with curiosity with empathy and compassion, why would my child say that to me? What is going on with my child? And so my point is that our kids are always telling us what they need, but because they don't have a fully grown brain, they are not able to necessarily understand their feelings, articulate them, or know how to deal with them. It comes out in ways that we don't like as the communication. And instead of going to what's underneath it, which is really where the answer lies, which is really what is going on with your child. And when you go underneath, you can find out what it is and solve it there. But if you don't, and you layer on another layer, which is punishment, which is embarrassment, which is humiliation or yelling or name calling or whatever it is that we do, right? we shun them, we do so many different things. We've just added a layer on top of the behavior and we're further and further away from what's really going on. And the reason why that's important is because that behavior will continue to morph and change and grow until that need is met. And our kids have basic human needs that need to be met at all times. And if they're not met, they will be more anxious, more angry, more unsettled and will challenge you more. But if we can meet those needs and those are needs, not just for a toy or for attention, attention is one of them. Attention is vital, but it's also connection. It's unconditional love. It's communication, right? And it's also having independence and growth. There are eight core basic human needs of a child and those do need to be met too. And so as parents, we have to remember that we're teaching our kids right? But I'll say this one last thing. What we often do is we see behavior. We don't understand its communication. And then we catapult ourselves into the future. And we say, "Uh Oh, if you're like this now, what are you going to be like as a teenager? You're going to be way harder. And I better nip this in the bud. Now I better stop you from acting this way now, because in the future, you might be even worse. And that's just not the appropriate level of response for what's happening in front of you with your four-year-old. Well, there is so much to unpack here, but I 100% agree with you. But I also hear already parents saying, well, that sounds all great and good. But if I need to, because we're 
going on vacation and I need my child to pack its stuff so that we can actually go. And it's, you know, really crunch time because we don't want to miss the plane. How do you then spend, you know, the time or the energy to address these deeper, uh, you know, issues that were needs that uh, really may the, be at the core of the defiancy? How can you set this aside for a moment and get the child still to do what you needed to do in order for the flow to go? And what kind of tools would you suggest? So you have to meet your child where they are, not where you think that they should be. And what you're talking about, what I hear is expectations and maybe unspoken expectations. Like my, my, my child should be able to pack their own bag. I can tell you right now that my one child cannot pack his own bag. He's 17. He just can't. He doesn't have the executive functioning yet. His brain isn't fully grown and the areas of the brain that he needs, which is those, those eight areas of executive functioning, he doesn't have. So as a mom, I need to recognize that. And I need to also realize that that's not his fault. He's not choosing that. And if I misunderstand him, I'll blame him for it. I'll tell him he's choosing it. I'll tell him he's doing it just to upset me, but he's not doing it to upset me. He's not doing it to upset anybody. He just can't do it. So I have to help him. I have to meet him where he is. And if that means that I'm just there while he packs, then I'll be there for him. If that means that I'm actually saying, don't forget socks, don't forget to bring a couple extra shirts, then that's my role, right? I have another son that is totally and completely able to do that himself and he's younger. And that's just where he is, right? So we have to know our kids and we have to remember that they do not come to us with fully grown brains, that their brains do not finish growing until mid 20s. And for boys, it's even a little bit longer. And a child with ADHD needs extra time as well. So we often say these kids are lost causes, but they're just, they're not, they're just late bloomers. And so we've got to give them time. And so as parents, we've got to manage our own expectations, right? And that's really the key is, do I understand my child? And what can I do to support my child, right? Not just condemn him and, 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 yell at him and, and put him down. What, do, what can I do to support him? That's where we should always be with our kids is in that place of support. Yes. I, that's very interesting about the expectations because I think, you know, we actually have to manage our expectations for ourselves at times. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure as parents, you know, you also need to me, uh, to keep your expectations in regards to comparing your child with other children in check because that's often a, yes. a very common trap but <laughs> still something you know in the day-to-day -day where parents mm -hmm. are stressed you know it, it sounds wonderful what you're saying but a lot of people would say i don't have time i don't know how to do this she sounds like wow so compassionate so understanding she sits down <laughs> goes and helps the child, but I don't have the time or the energy to do it. I'm already so full and stressed out. Is there anything that you can recommend for people just to still find a peaceful solution without necessarily having to, you know, go into a tug of war like in the past or doing it for the child or, you know, because sometimes there is this need for cooperation. How do you get the child to Absolutely. cooperate? 
Absolutely. So I think we're talking about maybe two different things. One, let me start by saying this with time. I know that what I'm saying sounds like, oh, sure, must be nice, must be easy for you. Well, it's not easy for me. Here is what I have learned. I have learned this in no uncertain terms. You say you don't have the time, you're going to spend it anyway, because where you're going to spend the time is at the back end of a situation where your child is refusing and you've misunderstood them and now they're angry and you're angry and now you're fighting. Well, you didn't have time for that fight. You didn't schedule that in. You didn't schedule that that uh, that that frustration in and all of that. So if you really want to save time, you want to get ahead of it. And one of the things that I say to parents all the time is predict it. When you're about to ask your child to do something, what are they going to say, right? Are they going to have problems with it? Are they going to say no to it? Are they able to do it? So think for a moment. That takes a moment, not even a minute. Okay, I gotta, I gotta get my, my kid to pack his bag. Okay, what do I need to do here? Do I just need to bring in the luggage and he's fine? Or do I need to do everything? What do I need to do? The fact is, is that if your child doesn't know how to do it and you have that expectation, you're going to spend all of your energy on the back end doing it anyway. Why not predict it and say, hey, bud, what can I do to support you? What do you need? Right. And it's not coddling your child. It's recognizing that they are not little adults. They need your help. And as parents, what we need to do is teach them. And this is the key. You know, we talk about discipline and obedience and punishment. Punishment doesn't work because you don't ever learn how to influence your child. Your child is obeying for external reasons. That is punishment, being hurt physically, mentally, emotionally, right? That doesn't ever influence your child. You've never learned how to have a relationship with your child that's based on you listening to your child as much as you want them to listen to you, right? So that's the connection piece that is vital to cooperation. If you have a child like I do, who says no to everything first, first, you have to know that my child, like I know my son is a no before he's a yes, right? So here's the predicted, the, the prediction part. I know he's probably going to say no. So I got to, I got to get myself ready for that, right? In just that sort of nanosecond of recognition that I know he's probably going to say no. And because I know that the only answer, and this is for any parent if your child says no, your child refuses, they won't do what, what, what you are asking them to do is for you to just say, oh, okay, how come? Why? And then listen, because you might have missed something. They might be in the middle of doing something that's really important to them that you think is stupid, that you think is insignificant, but we often disrespect our kids and what's important to them. And we just expect them to do whatever we say, because we said to do it when we said to do it. And that is really disrespectful because I wouldn't expect you to do that. I wouldn't expect you to stop this podcast right now because I need a cup of coffee and I need you to go get that, right? If I was your spouse or, you know, somebody in your life, right? I would never expect that of you, but we do that for our kids. We're very, we can be very unfair. And so if we just say why, and your child says, cause I don't want to, oh, you don't want to. Okay. I understand that. I really don't want to take out the garbage either. I get it. But how are we going to work this out? Because it is something that I need you to do. And when our kids say no, we actually have the opportunity to connect with them in a deeper level and come to a win-win solution. 
But it also means that we have to ask ourselves, was that a fair ask? Is my child able to do this? If they really hate this thing, do they need to do it or could they do something different? Right? That's really what this relationship is about. And when you build a solid connection with your child where they feel safe coming to you, talking to you, that when you ask them a question about this, like how come, and you're willing to listen and problem solve, they know that you are a safe and caring ally for them. And as kids get older, the stakes get higher. We're talking about drugs. We're talking about alcohol and different behaviors and, and, and sexuality and all of that stuff. When they get older, the stakes get higher. And that means that if they don't have a safe parent to come to, they're going to go to somebody else. And that's what we don't want. We need to keep them safe and past those teen years, which can be very dangerous and very scary. Beyond that, we want to have a relationship with them that lasts a lifetime. And all of that starts with communication, respect, understanding, right? That's really the key to it. And that's how you get cooperation, not parenting over. It's really parenting with. Now, you just had this little dialogue with a child about, you know, I'm not feeling like it. So are you at some point saying, okay, I'll do it myself. And would you then say, okay, this is like giving up? Or how do you reconcile a parent who says, well, I mean, if I ever hear, I, I mean, always hear, I don't want to, I don't feel like it. And even yeah. if I go further and have this conversation, how will I at some point still get my child at least to cooperate and not just stay in the, I'm not feeling like it because I have better things to do? I can tell you what, when you have that connection with your child, they are much more likely to listen and do what you ask them to do because it's important to you. Now, you're absolutely right. There are kids that push your buttons. There are kids that, that make you feel powerless. And so that's why on the parenting side, it's on, there's two sides to it. There's what's going on with your child and what's going on with you. And if you're reacting from your place of feeling powerless, feeling angry, hurt, you know, frustrated, you're reacting from that place. Your child is just being a child. Your child is just being whatever age they are, seven years old and not wanting to do that thing. But we react from our place and we go to communicate with our child and our child is trying to communicate with us and we completely miss the mark because we're so caught up in our stuff. And so what we have to do is we have to notice what we're saying to ourselves about the, situ the situation. The way, the way I look at every situation is the situation isn't good or bad. It just is. My child doesn't want to do the thing that I asked them to do. So often we have a story in our heads, right? My, my thought, my belief, my story about my son is that he ruins everything. And I believed it. And what that does is, and I use the cognitive behavioral therapy triangle, right? Which is this invisible triangle that at the top are your thoughts about the situation that leads to your feelings that creates your reactions. And so when I, when I would say to my, self, you ruin everything. And I was angry and I was frustrated and I was resentful and I had rage and disappointment. I would go and I would go and yell at him. I would force him to do it anyway, 
I would say you get your butt in the car right now and you are going to go to that parade and we're going to go and have fun whether you like it or not. Right. So that's how I would respond. Right. And then I would be fuming. He would be upset. You know, then I'd feel bad. And then I'd say, oh, baby, I mommy's sorry. She got so mad. I didn't mean to get so mad. Then it becomes about my behavior. Right. And then I'm apologizing for me. And we never got to the reason what was going on with our child in the first place. Right. Which is that he just maybe needed to get more information. Right. And so instead, as parents, what we need to do is we've we've got to recognize how sometimes we have a bias and, and this is the work that I do. So this does take work. I just want to say that it doesn't magically happen. We've really got to rewire our brain and this is rewiring neural pathways that we have, but it is absolutely possible. You can see things in a different light. And when you see your child differently, you see a different child. So a lot of this is work on our end. And so I changed my thought to, we can work it out. And to me, it made me sit up and just be more confident. I felt more in control. Like, no, I've got this. You're four years old. I've got this. I'm the mama here. I can do this. We can work this out. And so that put me in a more collaborative space where I was able to say, okay, what do we need to do? Right. And maybe I need to go and, um, we need to, I need to have, you know, a lollipop in my pocket and say, Hey buddy, guess what? I know you don't want to go, but I got something for you. So you get in the car and you can have this on the drive, right? It, it means that we get to be more creative and we get to be problem solvers. And when our child says, no, we really just need to look at it as a problem to be solved, not a child that needs to be reprimanded or hurt or punished. Just how do we solve this problem? And I can tell you that when you're listening to your child and you're you're actually letting them come up with a solution, they're much more likely to follow through with that solution because they helped to come up with it. And it feels really good to have those big giants that are our parents, those powerful people in our lives, listen to us and say, yeah, okay, we can do that. That works, right? And sometimes you have to ask for a win. Sometimes you have to say, you know what, bud, I know that's really hard and I know you really don't wanna do that thing. I know. And that's where empathy comes in. I'm just going to sit with you in this space of you being disappointed, of you being upset. I'm not going to try to change your mind about it. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. I'm just going to be here with you because sometimes you have to have a meltdown and you got to get through those emotions. There's nothing I can say or do to stop you from feeling that way. So I'm just going to be here in the trenches with you saying, yeah, you know what? I get it. That's a big deal. If I was six, that would be a big deal for me too, even if I don't agree. Hmm. Do you have a feeling that you now when there are children that want negative attention, now mm -hmm. let's just let any kind of medical diagnosis by the side and just push, 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 because somehow they don't get enough attention. What would you recommend to the parents? Because I have several clients that are struggling with that, with a nightmare kid who always somehow, mm -hmm. you know, tortures these siblings or behaves badly or has no interest at you know doing anything in school obviously they want something there is a need of you know connection or pay attention yeah. to me but the parents have a hard time to make the first step what mm. would you recommend is the the first step to spending time asking questions learning to know the child in a different way or 
changing your own mindset about the child from looking at it as a nightmare just to a child that needs help. All of those things, 100%. I think what a child like that really needs is, and, and look, they may have extra needs, right? The need for attention just might be higher than another child's need for attention, right? So these are these sort of, you know, intense kids, challenging kids. And I, I really do get those kids. Those That's exactly what I live with. And there's a couple of things that need to come into place. One is boundaries. A child like that needs boundaries. And so the type of parenting that I do is not to be mistaken with permissive parenting. It is, it is peaceful parenting, but boundaries, right? And what we also need to be is a figure of stability for our kids so that when they push up against us, push up against a boundary, we lovingly hold it. And that boundary is lovingly held with empathy. That is exactly what, which, which is exactly what I just said, right? Is empathy. Like, I know you want to do that thing. I know you really want to do that thing. And just well, let's do, do the example of the kid, you know, okay. just really uh, at dinner acting up and behaving the way that, you know, it just disturbs the entire dinner because he throws food at the siblings or calls them names or does things that just, you know, he always does or she always does to upset everyone and create attention. So what would you say there with empathy? Well, I think, yeah. So a child like that is in turmoil of some kind. What is going on with this child? And and I and and you said you know um, diagnoses aside, there must be something that they're seeking. Are they seeking a sensory input of some kind? So what I would do is first, you know, okay, we've got to start with some some boundaries. We've got to start with some some understanding. So take the child aside. Listen, buddy, I do not want to see you throwing any food. I don't want to see you upsetting your brothers or sister. You are to come to the table, eat, and that's it. Okay, so there's the expectation, right? And I know I said that fast, you might have to have more than one conversation, right? Then what we wanna do is we want to anticipate things, right? Okay, where do things often go wrong? Have something in place that can maybe pattern interrupt. Like, oh, we're gonna play music. Oh, we've got the song. Okay, everybody's gonna sing along, right? Let's be intentional about how we're gonna distract this kid, right? Because this kid is driving the bus, right? He is the one who's really in charge here, right. but you need to be in charge. And when you are, your child will just, will really just lean into you, right? Which is what we want. But um, we also need to recognize the good behavior. Hey buddy, you're doing so great. Thanks for sitting down quietly. This is awesome. Now, if there is a sensory piece to this, maybe your child, and this is where we're flexible, right? Maybe your child stands at the dinner table and doesn't sit. Maybe you get one of those chairs that has a rounded bottom on it so the child can wiggle around. There is a concept that a child, some kids need to be in motion in order to be still. And maybe this is your child. So you've got to know that about them. Maybe they need to have a weighted had on their lap in order to be still, in order to, to be able to sit at the dinner table. The other option is you throw out the idea of everybody sitting together at the dinner table because it doesn't work. Why do we have to do it like this? If this doesn't work, why are we doing this? I don't need to have a Norman Rockwell painting of my family because I don't have that family. So let's all eat at the island or mom and dad eat after the kids eat right? So that we can be there to manage the chaos that is there, 
right? We're always looking for different solutions. So what do you think about that? I love it. Flexibility is a very good approach just to be creative and uh, yes, using pattern interrupt is always working. But boundaries is such an interesting word because when do boundaries become punishment? How do you, you know, differentiate? Let's say, for example, a kid has many kids have these boundary issues with screen time. So they, you know, 30 minutes, they are told, and then they just push, push, push and at night under the blanket, they still watch TikTok. And so then the parents find out and the punishment is, or the boundary depends on how you see it, you know, no more phone for the next two days. But that yeah. creates, of course, the opposite effect. But as soon as the phone is there, then they find other places to hide out and watch. So that is a very difficult thing to enforce a boundary that is healthy and still not going into the, the punishment and then the reactionary mode with it. So <laughs> when it comes to technology, I have a lot to say about it. Um, you know, first and foremost, it does start with boundaries. You know, un unfortunately, what we do is we give our child a device of some kind, right? Let's say it's a phone. Let's just use a phone for now. Uh, but it could be anything. And we say, here is a phone for you. Maybe here's some rules around it. Do we enforce the rules? The rules, the boundaries, same difference. Well, not really. Rules are really you do this or I'll do this to you. Boundaries are, this is what I expect of you. How we really uh, observe the boundary can be flexible. But what happens is, is we become figures of instability with this. And this thing that we've said yes to, we sometimes say no to for no reason other than you've displeased me, right? So what we do with it is we use that phone as a way to control our child. But that wasn't part of the original agreement. That wasn't the boundary that we set, right? You displease me, you're rude to me, you don't get that phone. You are watching it late. Well, okay, that makes sense. You watch it late, well, we're going to turn off the internet or we're, you know, that phone needs to be in my room by the time you go to bed. So I don't allow that. So we've got to set them up for success with boundaries, but we also have to be careful not to use that to be, um, to, to, to control them because that's what happens. And then what they do is they covet it even more. It's like, well, I better get as much time as I can before mom takes it away from me. And that's not fair to do that to your child. It's not okay to do that, right? It's the same as saying, well, you got in trouble at school or you got a C minus on your test. You can't go to that birthday party. Well, what the heck does that have to do with one have to do with the other, right? So we have to have expectations. We also can't give our kids these, devices too early because they may agree to a set of, of uh, boundaries or rules and may not fully understand what that means, right? And look, I want to just say to parents, the whole technology issue is difficult for all of us. We're all pioneers in this. We're all learning on the job. And so it is really tough. And that's why parenting today is even harder than it's ever been, because we haven't had social media and devices, you know, impacting our kids in the past. So it is a big deal and it is difficult, but it does start with us being fair and our yeses to it, meaning actually mean yes, like, yes, it is yours to have around these parameters. And if you don't follow through, then we need to talk about it. I need to understand why it doesn't necessarily mean that it gets taken away, but we need to have a conversation about it, right? Because they may not understand, they may not know. 
but we have to hold that boundary. So the boundary would be then internet off if it's, you know, not really accepted by the child or. Yeah. Or, or I take your phone at nighttime. You know, that to me okay. is fair. I had a situation where my son, I'll, I'll tell you this quickly, where he was, um, he, he had a phone. He's in high school. High school's a, about a 20 minute walk away. And sometimes I would be able to pick him up from school and sometimes I wouldn't. And so he would have to walk home. And um, at the time when I was first coaching, I was doing all my coaching over the phone, not over Zoom like I do now. And he would call me or he would text me and text me and text me when I said, no, I just can't do it. And he would blow up my phone just constantly. And it was ruder and ruder and ruder, you know, more rude, just not nice. And I just said to, to him, I said, listen, it is not okay for you to use your phone in that way. You do not use your phone to communicate with me that, that way. You understand, because we've talked about this, that sometimes I can pick you up and sometimes I can't. And I know it's really hard and it really sucks to have to walk home. I get it. And if you use your phone like that again, you don't get to bring it to school. He did it again. He wasn't allowed to bring it to school. That's the boundary. And then it stopped? Absolutely. Yes, it did stop. I mean, th there might be a couple of times where he, you know, was testing the boundary. I mean, this is a kid that definitely likes to test boundaries. But I would shut it down. And he knows. He knows now that I won't put up with it. He knows now that that phone needs to stay here if he does that. And we can talk about how long it stays here and, and different things like that. But that's that's how we teach. And that's a natural consequence, right? Do you feel like that our schools are doing the opposite of what you are suggesting to your parents in regards to not really listening, having high expectations when you don't really fulfill the expectations, you get a bad grade and basically form of punishment. And so is yeah. there something that you also would say our school systems in the future would need to change in order to really help our children to be the most confident and well-rounded uh, beings. Yeah, you know, I, I I really do think that there is more that they can do. I will say I love teachers and respect teachers enormously. They have been such a, a, a big key to our kids' success. And there are also so many neurodivergent kids out there that if we can default to making sure they're okay, everybody will be okay. The kids that get straight A's will still get straight A's, but the kids that need the extra help will get the extra help. And the problem is, is those kids that are on the fringes, those kids that go to LST, right? Learning support, they're, they don't feel good about themselves, right? School, when you don't, when you aren't the, on the honor roll, getting the grades that, you know, you, you know, the, the, the A's, the B's, you feel like you're less than, and that isn't good because school is not a measuring stick for your worth. And that's something I have to tell my son all the time. And also as parents, we need to readjust what is good. You know, if we only are looking for A's and B's, we don't see the gift that is that C plus because our child worked really hard. I think effort trumps results always. And there are a lot of teachers and, and for all the love that I have for teachers, I do also understand that those people who become teachers 
were probably those really good students. Mm. So they may not fully understand our kids, right? That they do struggle, and especially right now with anxiety. It's so huge in kids. My, my younger son actually stopped going to school because he had debilitating anxiety. So it's just so difficult. He's in a special program now, which I'm so grateful for that he goes to school every day. It's so wonderful. And I'm so grateful for that. But more schools need to take that into consideration. And in fact, on the news this morning, as I was getting ready uh, in the States, they're screening for anxiety now, instead of just saying, oh, that kid's got ADHD or that kid is, you know, whatever. Um, that's, that's big. That's big. It's definitely a whole nother topic that I would love to come have you come back and talk about because this is something that's very, you know, little understood in children, especially. Yes. But uh, as a society, anxiety is just a pandemic that seems to get more and more out of control. And most people are just able to cope with it, but not really address it. And that trickles down to our children, too. But that's a different topic. So thank you so much. But I want to hear how people can find you, how they can work with you, your fabulous book, how they can buy that. Just tell us the details a little bit. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you can find me. Um, I'm, I'm really everywhere. Parenting for Connection. Uh, parentingforconnection.com. I'm also on YouTube. And my, my YouTube channel is Parenting for Connection. I mean, that is everything. Connection is everything. And so I would love for you to check out my videos on YouTube. Um, have a look at my website as well. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I have a couple of private groups, depending on, you know, um, what, what you need. Uh, and my book is called The Yelling Cure. And you can go to yellingcurebook.com. Um, so please do that. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for letting me talk about this such important topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for all that that you're doing for the children. I already know that just by what you shared, you have touched a lot of parents. And the, for me, the, the take home message is really lead with empathy. And that mm. is certainly something that we don't do very often or don't hear very often. So thank you so much for that message. Thank you.